Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Organ and Tissue Donation in partnership with Donate Life. I'm your host, Michael Billings, and my guest today is Fiona Hudson. Fiona works with Donate Life in transplantation and immunogenetic services. Don't worry, it's a mouthful, but we'll explain what it all means. But before I get to that, I just want to remind you that I do this podcast in the hope that after listening, you'll do two things. Sign up to become an organ donor at donatelife.gov.au and talk to your family about your desire to be an organ donor. Both those things are just as important as each other, and just one organ or tissue donor can transform the lives of many people. I'll remind you at the end of the episode, but for now, here's Fiona Hudson. Fiona, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Now, first up, what does transplantation and immunogenetic services mean? <laughs> so, um, we're a specialised laboratory as part of the Lifeblood organisation. Our job is to organise the matching, get the matching done for patients who are needing a transplant. That might be someone needing a stem cell transplant or a bone marrow transplant or someone needing an organ transplant. We also look after people who may require specialist platelet testing, neutrophil testing, and it encompasses a very broad range of things. Okay, then some of us will have heard the term tissue typing. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So, Most of what we do in our laboratory, a good part of what we do is we type people for their HLA and that's their human leukocyte antigens. So these are specialised markers that everyone has on the surface of their cells. So it's a marker that they've got on all the tissues throughout their body and it's unique and specialised to each individual Um, and that's how the name tissue typing has come about. So you, what we do is when we do the HLA typing is we tell you the type that's on a person's tissue. So we're known as the tissue typing lab, which is a lot easier to say than transplantation and immunogenetics. I couldn't agree more. Now let's say we have a scenario where there's a prospective organ and tissue donor in hospital and there's a potential organ recipient on the wait list. A transplant just can't go ahead without this crucial process taking place, can it? That's right. Yes. So we um, provide the link between um, the donor and the recipient to make sure that that potential organ donor is compatible with that potential organ recipient. Make sure that that transplant will have the best possible survival that we can we can determine. Should I assume the flip side of this is that if there's not a great match, then you run the risk of the body rejecting the organ. That's right. And that's, we'll do some testing to try and determine, make sure that that's not the case for this particular pair. And if it is the case, then that information is put out there to make, let people make the best decisions for their patients. Can you walk us through a typical scenario? Like you receive a call and end up with tissue compatibility results. How do you get there? So it's um, an Usually it takes us around eight to 10 hours to get from the start right through to the finish. Um, It's a process that obviously needs to happen as soon as possible. So it can start any time of the day, any time of the night, whatever needs to be done, we'll make sure it happens. Uh, So what we do is we get some um, blood samples from our donors and that comes to us at the um, Lifeblood Lab in West Melbourne. We, there's two, of, two people that are rostered every day to um, take care of this testing. They'll come into the lab. We'll get started with um, performing, we'll isolate some cells from the donor 
to use is the compatibility testing and we'll isolate some DNA as well. And we use that to do the tissue typing process. So between the two of them, over the next couple of hours, they'll get all those tests happening, the HLA typing to determine the matching and the cross-matching to make sure that the donor and the recipient that's planned to be donated to are compatible. And we do that using those cells that we've isolated from the donor. And then we mix the cells from the donor with um, a serum sample that we have from the recipient in the laboratory. We've got samples from all recipients um, that may be requiring an organ from all around the country. We've got samples of all of those patients at the moment. And we can then test the cells of the donor against the serum of the recipient in that test, the you know the serum might um, react with the with the cells of the donor, and if that happens, we know there's something there that might comp- that will compromise the survival of the transplant, and will that's part of our assessment. But if the cells are fine, we incubate the cells in the serum, and there's no reaction. That's a really good sign that this transplant has um, the markings of being a successful one. So your lab is open 24-7, 365? Yeah, most we, most of us work um, a normal day, Monday to Friday, um, but we have a very a small group of people that are signed up to be on call. So um, those guys are on call 24 hours. They'll go home at 4.30 or 5 o'clock when they finish their day's work and could potentially be called back in at, you know, six o'clock that night or 10 o'clock that night to start the whole process of the organ donation testing. So, you know, another eight hours on top of an eight-hour day is a possibility when you're on that roster. You must have a really amazing team around you. Oh, they're really good guys. They're great guys. What happens if you find that a donor and recipient tissues just aren't a match? What happens then? So, it can vary from us saying from us not allowing that result out of the laboratory, that that patient is incompatible and that shouldn't go ahead, to um, us informing the unit that you want to do this transplant, be aware, we found something that shows you that this is going to be a really risky transplant for you to do. So someone like a potentially the heart transplant group who are dealing with particularly urgent patients where they're willing to take on some risk, um, we might say to them, look, We've got this result. This is extremely risky. You need to be aware of this if you want to go ahead. So we're trying to give um, the transplant units that we're reporting to the best estimation of risk that they're looking at that we possibly can. Obviously, being a laboratory environment, it's quite a clinical job that you do, but you're also dealing literally with human lives at this point. Can you remember a time where someone was on the list for a really long time and you found them a match? Tell us what it felt like. It's really amazing to see when people that you've seen wait for so very, very long come up at the top of the list. It's um, it's really quite satisfying. Part of what we do uh, is not just we're not just the um, the on-call process. The um, the work that we do to match deceased donors is um, it's almost the end process of the patient being on the transplant waiting list. Where they might be on for years and years. We are constantly um, looking at their serum, making sure we're creating the best opportunities for these people to be matched when that opportunity comes along. So we'll look at these patients again and again and again 
to try and get them the right match. So when it finally comes up, it's really very satisfying and you really cross your fingers and cross your toes and hope that everything goes ahead as as you really hope it will. Do you ever get to deal with the people on the transplant list on a human face-to-face basis or are they just all names on a list in your world? No, no, I haven't had any, um, I've not met any of the patients that are on the transplant waiting list. It really is a name on a um, on a sample or a, a piece of paper, which is a real step removed, but it doesn't feel like it. So that's a little bit, um, it's a real contrast. If I, I feel as though sometimes I've known these people for such a long time, but I don't know them at all. <laughs> All right, so at the end of the process in the lab, where do the results go? Is that where your part in the process ends? Uh, yes, so we send our results for those for those organ donors. We send them to Donate Life to um, pass those results on for, and allocate the kidneys that are potentially going to be donated. So we work really closely with the Donate Life coordinators. Um, they'll help us. They help us coordinate our work and we try and work together with them to get the results they need. We also send our results off to the other organ program transplant coordinators for them to, and the, for the coordinators and the physicians as part of that transplant program to then decide of the best recipient for those other organs. Now, some of the people I've talked to on this podcast who have received organs, many of them get a false alarm call where it's been determined at the 11th hour that the organ isn't going to be a match for that person. Have you ever had to make that call? We do. Occasionally, we will have a result that shows that the donor and the recipient are just not compatible and that it wouldn't be safe to go ahead and our scientists can have to um, make that call and say, unfortunately, no, this is not something that can go ahead, which is really disappointing to be to get so close and then to have it all come undone with that last that last test that you run and you find out that it's just not going to work. It's really disappointing. I might just switch gears and talk about you for a minute, if you don't mind. How long have you been doing this job and what first drew you to it? I started um, with the tissue typing laboratory in 1995, so been there quite a while. I sort of fell into it a little bit in that I started with the the blood service back in that time, um, working in a different department, and I happened to get a job with the tissue typing lab um, as I was finishing uni, and. I sort of never left really. It was it's a job that it's constantly challenging and constantly changing, so it gives you a lot to occupy you and a lot to really um, keep you engaged with the job that you do. So that's part of the th- the part of what I like about it. What's your favorite part of the job? My favorite part of the job is probably that little buzz you see you get when you hear someone who's been waiting for such a long time finally gets their transplant. That's probably the best bit, but I love hearing. Sometimes you get little tidbits of how people are going post their transplants and they're really good too. I like hearing those as well. What's the communication like at Donate Life? Like it's a big organisation with a lot of moving parts. So how do these feel-good endings filter down to you? So we all, we go back, we keep a database of all the 
when those those donors that we match, we keep a database and read and find out transplants who receives which transplant from um, a potential or from an organ donor. So we get that little link between the donors and the recipients as part of our everyday work. So you can see those outcomes, you can see those names of people being transplanted quite regularly. And that's actually, that's another part, favourite part of the job is that linking of transplants and knowing that it's happened, even though we're a big, you know, we're a, quite a large step away from the donate life coordinators who look after the donors and the transplant units who look after the recipients where, you know, we're a third part of the triangle and we're quite removed, but just to see that link happen, even if it is just linking it up on a computer, you know the impact, you know what that means. And I think that's a really satisfying part of the job. What does it mean to you to be involved in the process that can change lives? Yeah, it's not just about the challenge of constantly changing work and all those things. It is a major, the major part of it is really seeing those outcomes and knowing that you've been a part of that. That's really satisfying that the work that you're doing every day feeds into those outcomes. It's really, it's really quite satisfying. You're on call and you can't be more than an hour away from the laboratory at Lifeblood in West Melbourne. Does that mean you have to live within the vicinity? Tell us a bit, bit about that. Yeah, so some of our, um, sometimes those those donor processes really need to happen really fast and our testing needs to kick off as soon as possible. So we really do need to be on hand for to be able to come in and start work uh, as soon as we possibly can. So for our on-call team, that means, you know, if they're on call, that's something that they, you know, they can't leave town. There's no weekend away that weekend. There's definitely curtailing on social activities for the weekend. Um, does mean that we don't, you know, we don't have many people that live in out. I don't think there's anyone that lives more than an hour outside Melbourne, which is um, handy for us. So it's that extra curtailing of um, what you can take on when you're on call, you don't want to be out at the pub after too many drinks. Then you get a phone call. You really want to make sure that you're you're doing the right thing by um, the people that you're going to potentially be testing those samples for. It just shows that the people who get involved in this process really do give a lot more than their 40 hours a week. They give a big portion of their life from where they live. I mean, there's no tree change for you guys. You've got to be near that lab. And even when you're on call, you're still giving your time to this job and this cause. Yeah, there's no there's no working from home when you have to be at the bench testing in a laboratory, unfortunately. We've talked a lot about the work you do today, but you've also been personally touched by the process, I understand. Do you mind telling us a bit about that? Yeah, we had a staff member who worked with us for a number of years um, but left us uh, to go and pursue other um, other jobs and other opportunities. Um, they passed away a couple of years ago um, and their family and they made the really difficult choice to become an organ donor and we're so glad they did. I hope they were too. Um, but it was a real shock to um, to realise that what you were working on, the, the information, the people you were working on were being matched to someone you knew personally. Um, it was a real shock. It really opened my eyes. Um, it really brought it home, I think, 
that we all, everyone here um, in my, everyone here that I work with, they really feel a passion for what they do. We have so many people that have lived here, I mean, so many people that have worked here, there's a Freudian slip for you, um, that have worked here for a very long period of time. And I think, I think what we do and the outcomes we're involved in really touch us. And this was an example of just where it just went a little, it just went beyond that. Um, and to being, to affecting everyone in the laboratory, to knowing, knowing that personal link really made a massive difference. And everyone stopped for a mo everyone stopped for a little moment and just really reflected on what we do and how close we are to, um, to the people on the other side of our tests as well. That must have really brought things home. The last question I'm going to ask is the same question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What would you say to someone who was thinking about signing up or unsure about signing up to become an organ donor? If anyone was to be unsure about signing up to be an organ donor, I'd say listen to some of the stories that you've been hearing through this podcast. I think it tells you everything you need to know about the impact you can have as being part of something like this. The, the changes that you can make to someone's life. Um, I think these stories speak for themselves. Listen to them and hear about the changes you could possibly be making and I think that will really help you make your mind up because it tells you everything you need to know. Well, it's amazing what you guys do and it's such an important part of the process and just looking at the stats alone, it's obvious that you and your team have saved and changed countless lives through this program so thank you for the amazing work that you and your team do and i can't thank you enough for your time and coming on the podcast oh thank you very much just part of a team that does amazing work and the whole transplantation process falls apart without them i hope after hearing this story you might go to donatelife.gov.au and sign up to be an organ donor and also talk to your family about your wishes if you've enjoyed the podcast then give it a review or a rating maybe even share it on your social media i hope it swayed you to sign up and become an organ donor if you did sign up after hearing this or you've got any questions or comments about the podcast, drop me a line, donatelifepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. My guest next week will be Brendan Cole. Brendan was the very first person in Australia to receive an intestinal transplant. I hope you'll join me and I hope you'll make the decision to donate life.